Welcome to another Solid Rock Church podcast by Bishop Larry Ragland, Senior Pastor of Solid Rock Church. For more information and content, please visit solidrockchurch.com. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and you have a blessed day. Thank you, thank you. Uh, my mom is here today, and as usual, my beautiful wife is here today, and I think Lincoln already went back to um, the nursery, but those of you who don't know me, my name is Austin. I'm the worship pastor here. Um, I've been here for about five years, and um, God has not slowed down one bit. I'm so excited for this new season that God is taking us in as a church, that God has taken me personally, that God has taken each and one of you personally. It doesn't, it doesn't just stop here in these walls. It goes past them. It goes to your work. It goes to your homes. It goes to your family. So I'm just excited for what God's doing. He never stops. Amen. So my dad in, uh, was able to make it today. He's smoking some butts for uh, <clears throat> 4th of July. We spent a lot of time out there at the lake at their house, and a couple weeks ago we were out there, <coughs> excuse me, pollen. We were out there, and my dad was like, I'm going to play a quick prank on them. Just watch. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, just watch. Everybody's hanging out in what we call the barn. It's just a, it's not really a barn, but that's what we call it. It's just a place with a pool table and some music and whatever. And he gets on his iPod, and yes, he still uses his iPod like the OG iPod. I swear to you, he still has one, and he uses it. So he starts playing Christmas music while everybody's talking, while everybody's, you know, hanging out, doing their own thing. And I have a holly jolly Christmas in the bedtime. And nobody, nobody even notices, except for me. I'm just like, that's the funniest thing in the world, Dad. Like, my face is red, and everybody's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just laughing, you know, whatever. And then they catch on, they realize it's, it's Christmas music, and Dad's like, hey, it's Christmas in July, ha-ha. <coughs> funniest thing in the world. But it reminded me of Christmas. And I love Christmas, and, and I, I don't, I, you don't realize how much you love Christmas or how far away it, it's been since you're in the middle of the year and you hear a Christmas song. It's like, man, oh, John, we'll go listen to Christmas music now while I'm, you know, tanning and swimming. Um, but I love Christmas. Do y'all love Christmas? It's the most wonderful time in the year. Somebody should write a song about that or something. Um, but every Christmas in the season, we have a family tradition. And it just started off with my sister and my mom, and then everybody else hijacked it. it but, but what they used to do, what they still do, is we go to the Alabama Theater. And if you've never been to the Alabama Theater, it is the most beautiful piece of architecture. Every, every single square inch of that place has, is some sort of art. <clears throat> from, the, from the ceiling to the floor and the, and the rafters and everything, just hand-woven, it's beautiful beautiful piece of structure and architecture, and it, it just, when you walk in there, you feel like you're walking into, I think it was the 40s, when people used it the most, um, but the movie that we watch is It's a Wonderful Life, and so you walk into this theater, and then you walk into this, you know, you get your popcorn, and it's in a box like it used to be, and they don't have Twizzlers, they have red vines, which is, I guess, what the old concession stands had, and you feel like you're there. And then you sit down, and on the screen comes a black and white um, picture of the film, It's a Wonderful Life. And if you've never seen that movie, I don't care if it's July, people are actually debating whether it's a Christmas movie or not. So you are completely justified and released by the Lord to go watch that today if you want to. Seriously. Amazing movie. In this movie, the first thing you see is God. 
And it's the 40s, right? So God is not God. God is like this Milky Way type galaxy that's just like blipping light every time he talks. He says, Joseph. And then up runs like Saturn or something, runs into God. Oh, yes, Lord, what is it? Joseph, come quick. There's a man that needs help. He says, what's wrong, Lord? Is he sick? And God said, no, Joseph, it's worse. He's discouraged. It's worse than sickness. He's discouraged. See, the man's name is George Bailey. And I'm not preaching about George Bailey, but I I can't tell you all that without telling you a little bit about him. George Bailey is, is the man that you want in your life. George Bailey had a very promising future. He had so much potential. He had so much going for him. He was brilliant. He was athletic. He had, he had a vision for his life. And he's ready to get out of his, out of his small town and, and go do whatever he wanted to do. But every time he, it was his turn, something kept happening to people around him. And every time something happened to somebody else around him, he stepped in. He stepped in and took the fall. He stepped in and took over the family business and locked himself down in this small town when his dad died. He did everything so everybody else could do what they want in this family. So he's on a clear mission that one day, one day, he might be able to leave this place and go see the world that God made. Well, George was dealt a pretty bad hand. His dad died. His mom was sick. His brother went off to the war. The the Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter, if you don't never never seen the movie, don't worry about it. But he's Mr. Potter. He's trying to take over this town, turn it into Pottersville. He's trying to run uh, George's business out. And, and George's expectations for life were never met because he always put others first. So he got trapped, and his discouragement made him sick. His discouragement made him sick because his patience ran out of his life. He got tired of waiting. He got tired of putting other people first. He got tired of coming home to a broken house. Like, not a broken home, literally a broken house. It was falling apart. So he decided, because of this sickness, that this world would be better off without him. He decided he was going to end his life. He decided he was going to go to a bridge and jump off, get really drunk, not entirely in that order. He was going to get drunk, then go to a bridge, and then jump off. And he decided that that's where uh, the world should be with him out of it. So that's not where the story ends. It doesn't end there. It's not a like horrible movie. It, it gets better, but I'm not going to go into it any further. But I, I want to address another kind of discouragement <clears throat> that is worse than sickness. Forgive me. This discouragement that you think I'm about to talk about has really nothing to do with you know work or marriage or your kids are running out, whatever, or you didn't get what you wanted. That, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about today. This is less life application. What I'm talking about today is the discouragement of the church, the discouragement of the body of Christ. And it's not just a, a discouragement that we faced for the past two or three years through having to shut down and having to deal with all the crap and all the politics and everything that runs rampant in our buildings and, and, and all the people who have left us. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a discouragement that has existed for 2,000 years. And it's a discouragement that has, 
existed since Jesus left the mountain and said, I'm coming back. And like and the angel said, and like Mariner as he left, so shall he return. So our ulti- ultimately our hope is in the return of Jesus, right? That's what we want. That's what we want. We want to see people saved. We want to see people filled with the Holy Spirit. We want the fire of God in our church, but we want more than anything for Jesus to come back for his bride. The thing we forget, though, is that we're on his time. His sovereignty is perfect, but it can be quite discouraging knowing that generation after generation after generation for the past 2,000 years has heard the same thing that you hear, that has heard the same thing that our youth groups hear, that has heard the same things that our old people have heard, and that's we are the final generation. This is it. You're all that's left. This is it. He's coming back. They said it in the 40s. Nope, maybe it's the 60s. This is it. Nope. Maybe it's the 80s. This is it. No, you know, you're definitely the end times generation because we got left behind and we got Thief of the Night and we got, oh, oh, we got TBN now. This is it. No, not it. So I'm telling you, it could be it. This really could be it. I'm not beating a dead horse. This horse is very much alive. But so many people sought the return, heard they were going to see it, and never saw it, and took it to their grave, believing it, and spending their whole entire life waiting for that one day instead of living. And I truly believe the time is near. But just like George Bailey's situation, when things were about to take a turn for the better, right? he didn't know that the whole community was coming together to save him. He was too busy getting drunk and going to jump off a bridge. So right before things took a turn for the better, his patience ran out. And I believe the church has lost its patience. Because when we become impatient, we become overwhelmed with discouragement. Patience, impatience always leads to discouragement. Because when you have a hope and you want to get it and you don't get it in the time you want it to, it crushes you. And the Bible says in Proverbs that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. When my son asked me, if, if he wants a cookie, which is really, and I don't give it to him, that hurts him. That hurts him a little bit. It, it, it makes his stomach sick, right? Hurts his feelings a little bit. If you come home and you're just dealing with the same thing over and over again, you're working overtime, you're trying to make mortgage, you're trying to make rent, you're trying to pay the bills, and you just can't seem to catch a break. That makes your mind sick. But when your hope is deferred, and when you've been told something your whole life is going to happen, when Jesus comes back and you haven't seen it yet, it makes your heart sick. It makes your heart sick if your heart is not in the right place. So discouragement is a sickness in itself. Is he sick? No, he's, it's worse. He's discouraged. I say that discouragement causes you to be sicker than any illness can make you. But how many knows when you are sick, you do not think straight? You're lethargic. You're fatigued. You're either really hungry or you can't eat at all. You can't sleep. You're having weird dreams. You can't think straight when you're sick. And if there's ever a time where the church of Jesus Christ has lost its marbles, it is now. 
Because we are not thinking straight. And I'm telling you why we're not thinking straight is because we got so impatient that we stopped listening to God and turned to the world for guidance. We turn to the world for answers when we already have the answer. We got so impatient waiting on the famous end times revival and the second coming and the rapture that we actually believe the voices who called us crazy for believing it. We actually believe the people that said, hey, it's been 2,000 years. He's not coming back. He would have by now. And we believed them. We believe them. Did you know that the Bible says a thousand years is but a day to the Lord? He is not delaying. He is not. He is coming quickly. He is coming quickly, but he is not coming on our time. Do not lose your patience. But they believed the voices who said, forget about it. It's not happening. And there's a great vast majority in the church that, who in these last days have given up the gospel in order to reach people because his standards and his message is no longer appealing to this world. Can I tell you something? It's never been appealing to this world. It has never been appealing for this world for somebody to tell you to crucify your flesh, to take up your cross daily to walk in holiness, to walk in purity. And if your good hand offends you, cut it off. And if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. It's never, ever been appealing to the world. So now we feel like there's something new happening, as if we're facing battles that the church has never faced before. Listen, we have always gone through it. The world has always been at odds with the gospel, and the gospel has always been at odds with the world. But we gave up on the gospel. When I say we, you'll find out who I'm talking about. I'm not going to name anybody by name. I'm not going to accuse the brethren. I'm not going to accuse the church. But I'm telling you this as a warning. This is where we're headed. Actually, this is where we are. And if you haven't seen it yet, you will. They abandoned the gospel to reach people. They got tired of chasing down a world that never stops moving, so they became like the world. Right? How, how else are you going to fill a pew? How else are you going to get followers? How else are you going to be a celebrity preacher if you don't compromise what is at odds with the world? If you don't twist the very thing that makes people literally scream in the streets if you preach it to them? Our impatience has not just, Lord, led to conformity. Our impatience has led to heresy. I'm going to say that again. Our patience has not just led to conformity. We didn't just make ourselves like the world and, and step out of our faith and renounce it and become the world. No, it's led to heresy. Because we couldn't handle giving up the spiritual high ground. And we couldn't handle letting go of the worldly godless high ground. So we put them in the same pot and stirred it up and said, hey, it works. Look how many followers I have. If you're asking what this heresy is, let me uh, share a scripture with you real quick. I want to share with you uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. This is Paul 
preaching to Timothy, speaking to him. He's writing him a letter. Timothy is a spiritual son. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and extort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will no longer endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions. Let me tell you, the devil didn't send these teachers. We went out and got them. But you want to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with? And the church tells you no? Why don't you start your own denomination? And bring in as many as you want. No one's going to be able to stop you. No one's going to be able to stop you. You can... Find whoever you want who is teaching whatever you want to hear, no matter what this word says, because they will claim to know the world, word, they will claim to love the word, they will claim to love the Lord, but they will go against everything he has ever spoken to fit your passions. So if you're wondering when Paul says, for the time is coming when people no longer endure sound doctrine, the time is now. I mean, people can't just, like, not comprehend it. Or, like, they don't, they don't just not like it. They don't just disagree with it. They can't endure it. They cannot endure sound doctrine they cannot endure the way of Jesus. They cannot endure the gospel. It's, it's not just they're opposed to it. They can't figure it out because they can't get rid of themselves, which is what the gospel calls you to do. Atheists, agnostics, humanists, pastors, they no longer are opposed to it. They cannot endure it. Why? Because in their attempt to reach the world, right, it started out good. It started out good. Our attempt was to reach the world. Our attempt was, to, hey, we don't care what happens. We just want to get people in here, right? That's so messed up. You're going to get everybody in here and you're not going to have a plan? You're going to get everybody in here and you're not going to give them a solution to their problems? So they, 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 instead of getting people in here and, and giving them the gospel and giving them a choice. They removed the need for a choice. There's no longer a choice. God loves you just the way you are. God loves your sin. Some, I saw somebody say, God is hell. I saw somebody who I love and respected as a teacher say, God is hell. He's not an atheist. He really believes that about God because he wants to get rid of the idea of hell. So hell is just this giant like love section that, that God puts you in for a minute because he loves you. And then he's going to bring it out. I don't, I don't know where it comes from. But we twisted this thing just to get people here. We got them in the seats, but instead of giving them Jesus, we became like the world. We took the world in with no foundation. We took the world in with no accountability. We took the world in with itching ears, and instead of scratching their ears, our ears became itchy because we said, hey, we like all this. 
We like seeing all these people. We like when, when politicians love us. We like it when the, when the local authorities love us. We like it when the Instagram famous people and the social media influencers love us. So we're going to do whatever we can to stay on top of that. And we're going to twist whatever we can to stay on top of that. So they became like the world. And in order to justify being like the world, they accumulated for themselves teachers that would back up their passions to be loved by this world. Are you with me so far? You still might be wondering, what is he talking about? I'm not going to put my finger on one specific thing and say, it's this. Because it's a lot of things. That's why Paul said, Paul didn't say, you can't preach this and you can't preach that and you can't preach this and don't, definitely don't preach that. Oh, and if you go over here to the Gentiles, don't preach this. No, he said, preach the word. Preach the word. If something in your life or something in your neighbor's life or something that of someone that you know is at odds with the word and they come to you for advice and they come to you believing you're going to give them a real answer that God gave you, then preach the word and don't preach anything else. Do not twist this to make yourself more liked by them. The world will never like you. The world will never love you. They won't. You will never be able to reach this point where you are perfect enough for the world. But I thank God that he was perfect enough for us to reach us at any point, no matter what. Amen. They accumulated for themselves teachers. But they did not forsake God. They did not abandon God. They did not abandon the church. They did not leave the church. They stayed, but they altered who God is. They altered his character. They altered him as a father. They somehow made him a mother too. I heard I heard someone praying on live TV about the, the heavenly mother God of the breastfeeding many breasts or something like that. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> We're making God believe it. I, don't look it up. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Or, or a man and a woman. <laughs> We're doing literally anything we can to make ourselves liked by the world that opposes the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> They're unwilling to give up the spiritual high ground. They're unwilling to give up the, the worldly high ground. So they just, they just straddle the fence. And they're going to sit here. And they merged and they became preachers who, came, who claimed to love Jesus. But they preach against everything that he taught. And they no longer believe in hell. They no longer believe in sin. They no longer believe in holiness. They no longer believe in righteousness. They no longer believe in atonement. They no longer believe in the foundational things that we have believed as a church for 2,000 years. Some has even uh, abandoned the belief that Jesus is even coming back. I'm not talking about atheists. I'm talking about Christians. I've heard Christians, prominent Christian teachers saying, hey, Jesus isn't coming back. You know why? Because you are the return of Christ. You are the return of Christ. You are the second coming. Yeah. I promise. You're it. See, the, the way that Jesus comes back to this earth is, is through us uh, uh, emulating social justice and empathy and doing good things for the communities. And, and that is his kingdom coming, and that, that's where it will be forever. And he's not really coming back. And actually, a Buddha is also a, a type of Messiah. And Muhammad is also a type of Messiah. And even my dog at home is God. 
My dog is Christ. These are real people. This is specifically someone that you and I used to listen to in youth group. A musician. I'm not going to say his name. But they have gained influence and they couldn't handle losing the influence. So they changed the gospel and they changed their worldview but didn't let go of God because they couldn't let go of people because they couldn't let go of fame. Some will preach that we are the return of Christ, but we're not. It sounds mythical to me. That's what Paul is saying. When you don't preach the word, they will go. And they'll get themselves some teachers to teach them some messed up stuff. Some messed up stuff. That makes you feel gross when you hear it. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Where you, you hear something that's like, ah, I don't know. I get it. Like, it sounds like you want to love people. It really does. It sounds like you want the best for people, but eh, it doesn't feel right. You know what I'm talking about? It makes you sick. Because my hope is that every single person who claims to love God and that every single person who holds the Bible and preaches it from the pulpit, my hope is that they will preach the word. But when they don't, it makes my heart sick. It makes your heart sick. When your hope is deferred, it makes you sick. It makes me sick to see the gospel that I love be so ripped out and wadded up and thrown away and it came back something completely different. It makes me sick. And this is not hate. This is not hate. This is passion for what is true. This is passion for the words that Jesus said. He is the word. Your Bible says that. When Paul says preach the word, all he's saying is preach Jesus. Because John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and lived among us. That is Jesus. He is the word. When you preach from the word and you are preaching everything that he didn't say to preach and you're preaching everything against he said you are not preaching with jesus you are not preaching his word and i don't even know how many of you in here desire to be preachers so you might be thinking it's pointless for me to even listen to this because i'll never get on a pulpit let me tell you something you don't have to be here to preach you don't have to be here to preach God's giving you a pulpit everywhere you go. We went through the, the five-fold ministry with our youth students the other day. I really hope it don't mess this up. <laughs> Prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist, apostle. You know what's not on there? Preacher. Preacher. You know why? Because every one of you is a preacher. You can't fit into one of these as a preacher because every single one of you is a preacher. Jesus, Paul said that Jesus gave to some apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists. I believe he gave the, to the world, every single one of us, as a preacher. And if you don't preach God, you will preach something. You don't have to be a Christian to be a preacher because God has given you all a voice and you will use it. You will use it to whatever you want it to. I've heard more Nick Saban in church than I've heard Jesus. We're all preachers of something. Every one of us. 
Preach the word. I know it's going to mess up everybody around you. I know it's going to mess you up when you go to college. I know it's going to put you at odds at the workplace. But are we going to please man rather than God? It's not worth it. What has man ever done for me? I don't know a single person who ever got on the cross for me and died for my sins and stands before the Father day and I interceding for me. It's Jesus. And if he ever did a work in you, and if he ever did a miracle in your life, if he ever did a change in your life, if he ever broke addiction off of you, why wouldn't you want that for someone else? Why would you get in there and put your hands in it and twist it around and make God in your image and try to hand it to a broken world and expect it to fix them? We can't do it. opposes the word and if it opposes the word flee from it Paul says that's nonsense he says Timothy preach the word because this is going to happen they're going to go to this he says just go do do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry go in other words it's going to happen you can't you can't get rid of it but you can do something about it and warn people and say hey There's a gospel that's coming that is not like this gospel. And Paul said, if any man or an angel from heaven preaches any other gospel, let him be cursed. Let an angel be cursed if he preaches any other gospel. Let a man be cursed. Let a pastor be cursed or a reverend be cursed if he preaches any other gospel than the one you know. And if you don't know it, you need to pick this up and figure it out because someone who is against you is coming to tell you what it is. And they have twisted it. My God, since when was Jesus not enough? Seriously. Charlotte and I talk about it all the time. Youth groups these days, first of all, I love our youth group. Y'all have no idea what they are encountering right now. This is the most fun Monica and I have ever had in youth ministry because they are just on fire for God. They love the Lord. But times have changed. And youth group is not what you remember it to be. It's not. These kids are dealing with stuff that I would never put on anyone else They're being indoctrinated with stuff that is literally trying to take them out of this world. It is trying to crush their identities. Charlotte and I talk a lot about how it didn't used to be this way. You know, we always had problems, but, but we used to do stuff together. Youth groups used to be the biggest part of the church. Youth groups had, had like, I mean, we have our own building. We only got like 20 kids, but they used to literally need either the sanctuary or another building because they were so big because kids just loved Jesus and you didn't have to give them anything else and you didn't have to give them anything driven by sex or confusion or all this stuff. You just gave them Jesus and they loved Jesus and he was enough. And we gave it to our older church. We used to just give them Jesus and it was enough. It was enough for me. It was enough for me. I was 18 years old in a free country, but more bound than anyone you can imagine. 
in my mind and in my spirit. And I walked into a conference and my whole life I've been given religion. My whole life I've been given, hey, as long as you don't wear jeans and your shirt's tucked in and your hair's cut nice and you don't cuss, then you're going to make it. But I was not making it. I was broken, I was bound, and I walked into a conference room, and I, nobody said anything to me. Nobody had to come and put their finger in my face. Nobody had to come and hit me over the head with this again. They just preached Jesus. They just preached the love of Jesus. And I was so ready to walk out because I did not want to forsake the world. But when you meet God face to face, you will do anything to be with him. And I met him. I saw chains literally fall off my body did I not I saw it I saw it I said God I'll give you anything because you're enough I've given myself to so many things in this world that the world has told me I needed and sometimes even the church has told me I need that and, and if I go a little too far it's all right you sleep with them, it's all right. You drink that, it's okay. Smoke that, you're going to be fine. It's all right. God, God gave us everything that's green, right? And porn is just a game, right? Oh, everybody does it. Everybody does it. You know, one in, th or, sorry, two in three this is like from 2015. I don't know what it is now. Every two out of three young men under the age of 18 are currently addicted to pornography. That means statistically, and I'm not going to point anybody out, I'm not trying to make you feel uncomfortable, but if you're a young man in this house and you're sitting next to your buddy and you look over to him and you look over to each other, I'm telling you this, if it's not one of you, it's both of you. In the church that I'm talking about, who goes against God's word is, oh, it's fine. Everybody does it. It could revitalize your marriage. It's, it can be healthy. It can give you more testosterone. It can make you uh, perform better on the football field. It's okay. And that's where I was. But Jesus was enough. It wasn't, it was, oh my God, if I could just bring you to that moment. Maybe we'll have one here today. Where God met me face to face. And he didn't beat me down. He didn't, he didn't tell me everything wrong I ever did. Let me tell you something. Sin is not just a, some magical concept. They're like, oh, you do it and it's wrong. No, it has repercussions and that's why it's wrong. It hurts you and it hurts the people around you and that's why it's wrong. And it drives you further and further away from God. And instead of him putting it in, a, in my, his hand and saying, this is all that you've done. No, he took me in and I forsook this world. I forsake my sin. Not because I'm holier than thou, not because I want to be, be like the Pharisees. It's because I just want to be close to him. I want to be close to him. And I'm telling you, there's so much in this world right now that has done nothing but drive us away from him. And you may think you're doing the right thing. You're not. If you're not preaching his word, if it goes against this, you're not. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. So when was the gospel of Jesus? When did, it, when did it stop being enough? It stopped being enough when these people started losing followers. 
It stopped being enough when people started leaving their churches. You know, Jesus said, if you walk into a town and they don't receive my gospel, shake the dust off your feet and move on. But they couldn't handle the rejection. So they, instead of shaking off the dust from their feet, they put a tent down and they lived there. And they did everything they could to, to change this a little bit at a time to make it okay with people. And they preached whatever they could. They prayed however they could. They hashtagged whatever they could to gain the approval of man. But Jesus said, narrow is the way to salvation. Narrow is the way. Few will take this road. You can't reach them all. You can't. You cannot save everybody. In fact, you can't save anybody. You cannot. He can do it. You preach the word, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, let him do the rest. And if it doesn't work, I got news for you. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. We're trying to force people. We're trying to force people to, to, to accept God. Because when you try to force them and they retaliate, you start changing it. Right? Narrow is the way. You're more outspoken about their politics than they are the gospel. And you think you know who I'm talking about. That's the worst part. It's everyone. It is everyone. We were more... I'll say that one for Pastor. I'll let him do that. <laughs> we were more make America great again than the gospel of Jesus. That was the majority, y'all. That was that's what you saw in church in the Bible Belt. We were more R next to our name or D next to our name. We were more red or we were more blue than we ever were for Jesus. And it wasn't politics. And it wasn't all the things that you think it is that that that's that's putting you at odds with the world or at odds with whoever's on the other side of the aisle. It has always been there. It's the same spirit. It takes manifestations of different forms, but all it has been is division. And if the enemy could come in and divide you and point the finger at everybody else but him, he's got you. He's got you. He's got you right where he wants to. If he can take the church away from God and face him in front of each other and stick a line right here and say, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault that our kids are this way. It's your fault that no one comes to youth group anymore. It's your fault that they took prayer out of schools and yada, yada, yada. And he's over here doing what he needs to do to get everybody else straight to hell because we are worried about each other. It falls on both sides. And I'm not calling out politics. I'm not making this political. Please hear me. Because if this becomes political, it is exposing the very thing that's in your mind that needs to get out. You cannot filter every atrocity in this world through a political view. So if these people, these churches have openly supported the execution of unborn children, if that doesn't make you sick, I understand. I understand. So many women have gone through this. 
So many women are hurt by this. There are so many that I know, so many that you know who, who are ashamed of it. God, there's no shame. There's no shame. I'm telling you, just like I told you when I was 18, he didn't give me one look of shame. None. But you know what he did? He changed me. And he showed me why this was hurting me and why this was hurting other people. And if you need somebody to tell you and break it down for you why disregarding the sanctity of life is wrong, then you're thinking politically and you're not thinking with the kingdom. You're not thinking with the spirit of God. They have openly supported the world's newest fad of sexual obsession and sexual confusion. I had someone tell me, hang on, this is not pretty. What am I going to say? I had someone tell me that, that a, a relative of mine was going to a school. I don't know where. I think it's in Georgia somewhere. And that 40% of the uh, of, of the teenagers, I think it was either a middle school, I think it was a middle school or a high school, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a middle school. 40% of the students in that school do not identify as the gender that they actually biologically are. This wasn't like in a news article. This is, this is my, one of my cousins, y'all, that goes to this school. And if you don't think this has anything to do with people trying to indoctrinate your children, and plant confusion, and not just confusion, but plant sexual obsession in their mind. It, it, it's not just, oh, they're just, you know, being funny, or they're doing the No, this world, and whatever powers that be, whatever principalities that be, have from the get-go sought to bring sexual obsession in your mind and make you crazy about your flesh and make you crazy about doing whatever you can to get with everybody you can. And it's wrong. It hurts people. And maybe if we didn't have so much of that, then maybe abortion wouldn't be such a problem. I've seen churches, and this is not hate. Please, again, I have to clarify, and I hate that I do. This is not political. I'm not coming against anybody. I'm trying to tell you what's happening to your Bible, and to your gospel, and to your nation, and your churches, is that they are more proud of a rainbow flag in front of their church than they are about the God they serve. They are more outspoken about their politics and their pride, which the Bible speaks against. I'm not even talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about pride. And we're embracing it and saying, more, more pride. We're more proud than anybody else. The proud will be humble. Pride. Pride disengages your inheritance to the kingdom of God. If there's one message you need to hear today, after everything I just said, if, if you feel hurt, if you feel offended, I'm not, you know, get out of here, I don't care. I care. I care if you're offended. I care if you're hurt. I care if what I just told you cut you because that's what the word of God is supposed to do. 
And so what we do as a church and on the on the good side, right, is we cut people. And we cut them and we cut them and we cut them. We say, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're living the wrong way. And we look for things to point out and we cut them and then we, and we walk away. And we don't even want to see them healed. And we wonder why they're leaving our churches and going to the one that's preaching these atrocities in this world. So if there's a message you need to hear today, is that God loves you. And I told our youth students two weeks ago, I thank God that the Bible didn't say that God so hated sin that he sent his only begotten son. But God so loved me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves you more than he hates your sin. He loves you more than you hate yourself. He loves you more. He loves you more than any thing you could have done because no matter what your sin is whether it's sex whether it's porn whether it's addiction whether it's murder or whether it's eating the wrong apple from the wrong tree jesus paid for it from the beginning to the end he who knew no sin became sin that i through him might become the righteousness of god through christ jesus it's not a will it's a might. I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That means you have a choice to make. He's done the work. And he's drawn out the line, the real line. This, this line isn't left or right. This line is hot or cold. And like he said to the church in the book of Revelation, he said, he said, you're doing great, but you're not hot and you're not cold. You're lukewarm. And that's disgusting. So I'll spit you out of my mouth. I say either be burning hot or be freezing cold. In other words, if you're with me, be with me. If you're against me, get all the way against me. But don't stand here in the middle trying to figure out which way you want to go and count the cost of what's more worth it to you to stand in allegiance or to stand in with the word world or stand in allegiance with God. And if you're standing in the middle and he has not already shown you enough that he's so much better than all this crap, then maybe you don't want him or maybe you just haven't met him yet. I believe you're going to meet him. And it's not going to be because of anything I do. Half of you probably don't really like hearing me right now. <laughs> I promise it's not me, but I pray God's spirit would come in and not give you shame and not give you hurt, but he would restore you. He would love you. He would, he would give you the care that the church forgot to give you, and he would refocus you and let you know that we don't fight against flesh and blood. And you know what's funny? I just thought of this. This isn't in my notes, but the big, the big thing that I hear and going heretically in these churches is they try to get rid of Satan altogether. Like, he just doesn't exist. The, the demonic doesn't exist. And you know what happens when you do that? When you take that away, they're able to say, see, the spiritual doesn't exist. That's your enemy in that church over there, right? That's who you need to be fighting Right? Because Paul said we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against spirits and principalities. 
But if you take the, the spirits and the powers and the principalities and say it's the church over there that's actually preaching the gospel that you need to go fight, well, then they're going to come fight. What else do they have to fight for? So I'm telling you this because they are coming. I don't say this because I want to drag anyone's name through the mud. I'm saying this as a warning. You must know the Word of God. You cannot count on someone else to preach this and teach this thing for you because they're going to make it whatever they want it to be. I could do whatever I want with this. I can. I promise you I can. In my own life, I've tried to twist it around and justify my actions. I can't. I can. And I can do it for you. I can, I can use this word and, and, and make you stay here for the rest of your life and make you bring literally everyone you know here to make me feel better, and I'll do whatever I can to keep them here. But if you know the word of God, you'll be able to check me. And if you know the word of God, you'll know when to pack it and to hack it and to get your jacket and go. So you can't count on these pastors to preach the word for you. you got to preach it, Right? I think Pastor was talking about it last week, the sons of Sceva. I know I'm all over the place. Is this okay? Pastor was preaching about the sons of Sceva. He said, in the name of uh, Jesus that Paul preaches, I command you demons to come out. That demon said, well, we know Jesus, and we know Paul. We know both of those names. Who are you? Who are you? And it says they beat the brakes off that man and stripped his clothes off and, and went back to possessing somebody else and walked away because they counted on somebody else to preach this gospel. But Paul didn't say, let your pastors preach the word. He's talking to an 18-year-old kid. Preach the word. Preach the word. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Not till after you graduate seminary. Not till after you graduate high school. Not till after you've got 30 salvations under your belt. Or not till after you've filled the altars at a youth camp. He said right then, right now. Because the world needs every single one of you to know this world. You have to know this word. Our allegiance must be to Jesus. Our allegiance has to be to Jesus. And I know we're celebrating our freedom tomorrow. I know we're celebrating this country tomorrow. But like I said, I grew up in a free country, and I was more bound than anybody I knew. This country can't fix the spiritual problem. No president can fix the problem that only Jesus can fix. Or Christ... The solid rock I stand. All other ground sinking sand. It's sinking. Open your eyes and see it. Open your eyes. Watch it happen. Like I said, when you feel that gross feeling in your gut, and you're on social media and you see a pastor say this, or you see this meme, or you see this video, I'm telling you, pay attention to it. God's telling you something. Because what you've known your whole life to be true is about to be altered in order to gain allegiance with the world that hates you. To gain allegiance to a world that hates your God. Gain allegiance to a world that hates Jesus. Because he opposes them. 
So I don't preach this to point fingers. I promise it's not what I'm doing. I, I know I preached against, you know, pointing your finger and finding an enemy. Uh, they're not your enemy. They're not. Satan's the enemy. I'm telling you what's coming. And I'm telling you because there's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to heaven. I don't care what other preacher told you, that it's not Buddha, it's not Muhammad, it's not universalism. God's not just one this guy sitting on top of the mountain and that we all find a different path to go to him. No, God came down to us from the top of the mountain and came to rescue you. And you can't find it on the left, and you can't find it on the right, and you can't find the way of vaccination. You can't find it from unvaxxed, and you can't find it in pro-life, and you can't find it in pro-choice, and you can't find it anywhere in this world. There is one way to the father and it has to be through jesus and jesus does not put on a red jacket jesus doesn't put on a blue jacket jesus doesn't get a shot in his arm jesus tells sickness to go jesus is the only way we can't fit him in a box i've heard so many if you want to see this world change seriously do you want to see this world change Preach Jesus. I've heard so many times in, in growing up at church, come on, guys, we put God in a box. We need to open it. We put, we put God in a box, y'all. Come on, we need to really worship now. We really need to really pray. We really need to fast because we put God in this box, and, you know, our church hasn't been the same. You know why the church hasn't been the same? Because we built a box, but God didn't get in it. He went somewhere else. You can't put him in a box. So the word God in a box is a lie. It's a paradox. He won't fit. He won't fit in anything you put in front of him. He won't fit in any theology you want to shape around him. He is the perfect theology. We have to let go of the things that we count on to change the world. I'm telling you. Roe v. Wade, huge win, huge win. All the lives, thank God, for the precious children. I look at my son and I thank God. Can I tell you something, though? The world's still messed up, and people are still going to find a way to do what they want to do. And you could give them a Supreme Court decision, or you can give them the gospel and see which one's more effective. So if we are not preaching Jesus and if we are not preaching the word made flesh, then just straight forward, I'm telling you, we're against him. Agreed? We're against him. So how do we preach? How on earth do we know what to preach? How in a world that never stops moving do we know what to say? I mean, I mean we, we are dealing with problems like, we got phones, we got cars, like, we're flying, we got, we got SpaceX. Like, this is a whole new world. How do we know what to preach? What do we need to do to, to reconcile the Word of God to this world? Can I tell you how? You don't. You don't reconcile the Word of God to the world. You reconcile the world to the Word of God. You don't let the world tell you who God is. You don't let the world tell you what Jesus actually said. Because we've heard that one before in the garden. What did he actually say? Oh, 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 you know, oh, when Paul um, said, um, 
the thing about homosexuality. Yeah, no, he didn't. He didn't mean that. No, he actually used like some German word. It actually uh, just means like um, I don't know, flirting too much or something. But like, it, you can you can do that. God doesn't have a problem with it. The things we pick apart to fit our lifestyle instead of letting God and his word just change us. Just let him change you. Don't let the world convince you that the church hates you because of who you are or the way you live. There's no hate. There's love. And because we love we preach the gospel because he who knew no sin became sin. And we don't preach this gospel and we don't preach the word of God to beat you over the head with it and, and make you feel little. No, we do it to make you feel big. Because when you look at all the violence of our sin and the dirtiness of our sin and, and, and the God-forsakenness of our sin displayed by Jesus on the cross, it's violent because my sin was violent. It's bloody because my sin was bloody. It's dirty because my sin was dirty. And he did that for me. He did that for the murderer, and he did that for the one who ate the wrong apple from the wrong tree. He did it for the porn addict, and he did it for the coke addict. He did it for the gay man, and he did it for the straight man. He did it for the right, and he did it for the left. When you see your sin on the cross displayed as Jesus, then you fully understand that's how much he loves me. Why on earth would you change that gospel and expect it to be effective in this world? Just hold fast. Hold fast. I know, I know churches have been talking a lot about a, a, a war coming, you know, or they're going to come in here, they're going to come in with their guns and drag us out and put them in these camps, whatever. This is a different kind of war. They're coming for your foundation. They're coming not to deconstruct you, to destroy you. The enemy doesn't seek to de deconstruct, kill, and destroy. He comes to destroy you. And it comes in subtle little changes to the word of God that we have held fast to for 2,000 years. And these are no new problems, guys. When the church started out, they held councils. They held councils and said, hey, this is what we believe. And if any man preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. And any time anyone else came and preached a different gospel, they cursed him. They said, get out of the church. You're a heretic. Get out. Because we have to protect this. And some of those voices that they kicked out are the very people that these pastors are quoting and holding on to. People who have been excommunicated for the church for 1,800 years. Because they stopped believing in hell. They stopped believing in redemption. They stopped believing in the divinity of Christ. They stopped believing that he was the word made flesh. And they started teaching that no matter what you do, even the devil is going to make it to heaven. Because it's all about love. 
It's all about love. You know what real love is? Real love is when you make a choice. And if I hated God, and if I wanted nothing to do with him and his kingdom, the most loving thing he can do, if we're being honest, is to let me go. You think it's love that he would force me to be in his kingdom when I don't want it? When a man does that to a woman, that's called rape. God's not going to force anyone. I can't force you. And that's the church's problem, is that we have no control. And if you want control, you've got to change this. Because if you don't change it and you preach it, you lose control. And you give it to God. And when God has control, that's when things change. So for 2,000 years, are you still with me? We've been waiting. For 2,000 years, we've been praying. For 2,000 years, we've been expecting. And for 2,000 years, we have become discouraged. For 2,000 years, we have become impatient. And for 2,000 years, we have had a sick heart because our hope has been deferred. But God always, not just now, always has a remnant in every point of time. There is always a remnant. And we talk about it. We talk, we're the remnant. You're not the only one. How do you think this thing lasted for 2,000 years? There is always a remnant. From the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, it's believed historically and it's proven historically, there was about 400 years from the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew. 400 years where God did not speak. 400 years. I mean, you talk about, you're going like a thousand, at least a thousand years of God giving you prophets and minor prophets and major prophets and, and judges and kings and all these people and these patriarchs, and then he just stops, checks out. 400 years. That's longer than your country has existed. And people became impatient. Because the last thing he said, hey, I'm sending in the Messiah, and I'm sending a voice crying out in the wilderness. Behold, I am sending Elijah. Bye-bye. 400 years. Like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? It's the same thing we're dealing with. 2,000 years. In like manner as he went, so he shall he return. Where? When? What are we waiting for? Well, you're not the one waiting. He's waiting on his father. And when his father says to come, then he'll come. But you know what we're supposed to do? We're not supposed to wait. We're supposed to occupy. That's what he said to do. He didn't say, come put a butt in a seat and, and praise me until I come. No, occupy. 400 years. Backtrack. And they became impatient. They became discouraged. And, and, and they, they started thinking, well, maybe, maybe if we're just more holy, we can hurry this thing up, right? So they started making new laws. The Jews. New traditions. They started planning new uh, synagogues and having, having different feels to the temple. It's no longer you bring their, your sacrifice. Now you can buy your sacrifice from the temple. And you don't even have to do any work. See, And they, and they just they started messing with things that God told them not to mess with. 
And they started putting their hands on things that God told them not to put their hands on. And they turned to politics and they turned to empty religion to fill them instead of being filled with the expectation of the promised Messiah until one day God's remnant, the promised one, not the Messiah, the voice in the wilderness. John the Baptist, ever heard of him? Oh, John from down the street that goes to the Baptist church? Yeah. Sorry. Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest man to ever walk the earth. Did you know that? Jesus didn't say, I, Jesus, and the greatest man to walk the earth. No, he said, John the Baptist is the greatest man to walk this world. And he prepared the way of the Lord. And he came as a voice crying out in the wilderness. And he did not preach politics. And he did not preach the tradition. He didn't even know these people. He lived in the woods. He let his hair grow out. He didn't touch dead things. He ate honey and locusts and laid his head in the wilderness until one day he comes out and says, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In a time where the Jews thought they were more holy than ever. In a time where they had more religion than ever. In a time where they had more things to beat people over the head with and say, look how good I am than ever. He came out of the wilderness saying, repent. And he wasn't saying repent to the Jews. He wasn't saying it to the atheists. He wasn't saying it to the Gentiles. He wasn't saying it to this day, to the right or the left. He was saying it to everyone. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at near. Everyone. In the same way, they called those the years of silence, by the way, the, the 400 years. They called it the year of silence. We, we have become so caught up and so distracted by this world, that we forgot the gospel. And that's not just a catch line. We really have forgotten the power of the gospel. All right? One way, social media. You get on there, and they tell you every day what you're going to fight about next. You get on there, and you start scrolling, and by the time that you clock into work, you done cuss three people out. You've done more research about the newest political fad to give you an upper hand than you've read your Bible in the past three weeks. Can I tell you the problem with social media? I think it's the worst thing that has ever happened to us because it taught a whole bunch of people you could say whatever you want without getting hit for it. And we open our phones, all right? Wake up. I do too. You can play. Come on. Wake up. Behold, the next new thing. Behold, the war in Ukraine. Behold, monkeypox. Behold, Roe v. Wade. Behold, election was stolen. Behold, vaxxed or unvaxxed. Behold, mass mandate lifted. Behold, 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 behold. And we fill our lives with these things that are meant to literally distract you from everything going on. But the greatest man who ever walked the earth came out. And when he got in the water, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
He wasn't beholding any of the crap that they told him to. He wasn't fed into any of the crap they told him to. He wasn't into the religion. He wasn't into the politics. His eye did not behold one thing but the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you want to see the world change, if you want to see the sin go away, if you want to see our children filled with the power of God, preach Jesus! Point our finger this way. We need to do that. That's the one. That's the one. That's what you need to look at. That's the research you need to do. That's the mandate you need to follow. Preach the word. Say it with your mouth. Preach the word. Tell yourself, preach the word. Say, I'm a preacher. I am a preacher. Behold. Can we do that for a second? You know what Rod Parsley says behold means? It means what the? That's what he said it means. What the? That's why every time somebody saw an angel, they said, behold, what the? Behold, do not be right. Behold, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, Lord, we behold you. You have our attention. We're all ears, we're all eyes, and we're all mouth, and we're ready to preach your word. We behold you, Jesus. He's the answer. I'm telling you, he's the answer. Quit fighting with people about stuff that they're going to forget about literally three days from now. Do you know how many, like, headlines we've gone through the past two years? Like, I remember, I remember, hang on. I remember the biggest thing when I was a kid, like, the world shook. When this kid hopped into his parents, like, DIY hot air balloon. Y'all remember that? And it took off. And like, oh, my God, there's a kid in there. And, like, every news, like, they got helicopters chasing this thing. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? It was, like, this giant, like, tinfoil-looking balloon that this kid climbed up in, and they, it crashed. It crashed into the ground. It was, like, on fire or something. It probably wasn't on fire. It would be pretty be a nice element. But it turns out the kid was hiding in, in, the, in the garage, and it never actually happened. And people knew. I was like, it's a hoax, all right? Ah, forget about it. That wasn't a good joke. No, people were stuck on this for like months. Like months. That's when I was a kid. Now, I mean, churches get shot up and we forget before the night's over. Like, your kids are be taken to, to drag shows as second graders. And we're silent. We can't touch that. We can't talk about that. I could pull my kid out. I'm just going to do your thing. 
I'm going to preach the gospel, but to my kid. No. We have become so desensitized because the world has told you more and more and exposed more and more evil to you every single day that nothing shakes you anymore, that nothing cuts us anymore. Nothing makes us stop and go, man, I need to hug my mom today. Nothing makes us stop and go, I need to, I need to pray for my kids today when I go into church. And I need to pray for my security members before I go into church because they are coming for us. Oh, I need to lay hands on my kid before he goes to school. Because they're coming for him. They're coming for our son. They're coming for your sons. They're coming for your daughters. And they're not coming with guns. They are coming with this disgusting aversion of the gospel. Preach the word. Don't just talk about it. Don't just argue about it. Preach the word. You're a preacher. God has called you. He need, God doesn't need anybody. But this world needs you. You know what this world needs from you? The word. They don't need anything else. They don't need anything else from you. They don't need your politics. They don't need, well, here's what I think about that worship song, or here's what I think about this stance, and yada, yada. No. That's what they need. You know what you are? A vessel. You're a microphone that God's going to use. Do you believe it? So we've got to preach the word. I might be closing up. I don't know. <laughs> Who's going to give me five minutes? No one? Wow. Okay, that didn't work. <laughs> but do you think that the gospel has, like, made it this far into history because, like, we just kept fighting, you know? Like, we just kept bickering at each other, and churches just kept splitting into more and more denominations, and the world just got uglier. And, like, how do you think we made it this far, y'all? Because this isn't it. This isn't it. Well, like I said, there is always a remnant. God's remnant never stops fighting. God's remnant never stops praying. I had a Bible college professor. He told me, he said, I don't care what they tell you because we were going through the history revival. And apparently during the dark ages, the gifts of the Spirit was just like not a thing that they preached. He said, I don't care what they tell you. I don't care what history tries to tell you about what the church believed or how the church prayed. Because we're here today, here's what I know. At every point in history, somebody's grandmama was in a closet somewhere praying in the Holy Ghost because that's the only thing that's kept this going on. Grandma's prayers and the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we need it. We need it. Do you understand how bad we need it? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us, to equip us, to make us bold, to teach us what this word means. Did you know the Bible says you don't need anyone to teach you, just the Holy Spirit? That's in your Bible. And yet he gave us the gift of teachers. Why? Because some people will not even give it a time of day to open that book and let the Holy Spirit teach them. Sometimes you got to bring it to them. Sometimes you got to bring it to a world who would otherwise never have heard this or never, otherwise never have picked this up. 
This world needs you. Do you believe it? I can just play a little bit. <clears throat> I know it's late, but honestly, this is like not bad compared to what y'all are used to, right? Hallelujah. The remnant is rising. And as we rise, I believe we need to refocus. We're not rising against politics. We're not rising against the other guys. We're not rising against they. We are rising to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you want to see this world change, will you stand up? If you want to be propelled to preach the gospel like you've never preached the gospel, will you stand up? Will you come to these altars? This isn't, this isn't for salvation. I'm talking if you are ready for God to use you like you have never been used before, will you come to these altars, let him breathe on you like we sang this morning, fill this place with the breath of heaven. Would you play that? Play that song for me. Cry it out today. Chris, are you able to leave that section right there? Will you, will you come help me pray for people? Alex, is Alex in here? Will you help me pray for people? If, if you are here, I mean, I'm talking, if you want to be propelled by the living God to preach the word, will you come straight to these altars? And if you don't want to, will you please stand back? Everybody? Okay. Just begin to lay your hands. Let's go. Just go. Lay your hands on them. For when you know not what to pray, the Spirit of God will pray through you. With words that cannot be uttered. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we say, God, use our mouth to reach this world and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is at hand. It is at hand. It is here. It is upon us. We do not look to a man. We do not look to a woman. We do not look to a system. We do not look to anything but the gospel and the Holy Spirit to empower us. So God, today, we say give us power like your word said, for you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Lord, breathe on us today. Come upon us today, Holy Spirit. Come like you promised. Come like a burning wind. We're in one accord. We're in one heart. We are ready to see the sins of the world be taken away by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Every single one of us, Lord, every single one of us right here, Lord, light a fire in us that we cannot escape. Like your prophet Isaiah said, it's like a fire. Shut up in my bones if I don't open my mouth and speak your word. We open our mouth today. Hallelujah. Oh. oh, oh. 